0: What's up fight fans welcome to episode number 142 of the neutral corner i am your host michael montero for boxing monthly magazine and boxingmonthly.com recording this early monday morning after a long night watching baseball these late night playoff games are killing me they're killing me but it was a good game last night between the dodgers and the braves how crazy is it uh my former hometown and my new hometown are battling you know, I'm kind of going back and forth, but you know, hey, I'm pulling for the Dodgers. Okay, I lived in L.A. for a decade. I haven't lived in Atlanta long enough to pull for the Braves. However, Tiff and I are going to Game Four of the National League Divisional Series tonight at SunTrust Park. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I've never been to a playoff game before, so it's going to be a lot of fun. I know Tiff hasn't either. Uh, also, for those of you guys who. Uh, You follow me on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, you already know because you saw my post. I closed on a home Friday, bought a house here in the Atlanta suburbs, and that is why we moved out here, was to buy a house. I've lived in the city my whole life. I've always been in apartments. I've never had a yard. We found one. Uh, It's a little over 50 years old and there's a lot of original stuff in it. Original floors and cabinets. So I'm ripping a lot of stuff out. Going to be doing a lot of renovations. However, one of the rooms there is going to be the studio. It's going to be the studio where I do this show here, TNC. And that's where we're going to get everything hooked up. Going to, it's going to be live call, live video. So guys, it begins. It starts. We're starting to get everything set up. It's going to take a while. I'm going to have to rip a lot of shit up. But eventually few months down the road, we're going to have the new house together, and that is going to include the new Montero Unboxing Studio. It's going to be bigger and better than ever. Before I get started, I want to give a shout out to my boy, Jose Montejano, for getting some videos to me and some photos to me from the Matchroom card that they had there in Chicago uh, this past weekend on zone for those of you who uh, have the app Uh, Jose sent me some videos and stuff, uh, including some real good stuff of uh, the heavyweight fight between Jarrell, Big Baby Miller, and Tomas Adamek. A lot of Adamek fans in the house there in Chicago, which makes a lot of sense. There's a big Polish population there. But boy, Adamek did not belong in the ring with Miller. Not saying that he was outclassed. I'm just saying dude was way too old to be in there and way undersized. Ugly fight, man. Just If you're a fan of Adamek and like... He had some great, great fights back in his career. It's just, for me, it's kind of sad to see him still going like this. But, um, Jose, it looks like you had a hell of a seat, man. Because the videos you shot, you were pretty close to the ring. So it looks like you had a good seat. Thank you for sending that stuff to me, homie, to give me an impression of what was going on there Uh, At the arena there in Chicago It looked like it filled up pretty good in that lower bowl Towards the main event So it looks like uh, it was a pretty fun atmosphere All right, guys, beyond that Let's see, it's Columbus Day I don't know, so maybe some of you are off of work Maybe some of you are not Because Columbus Day Isn't a holiday in some places It is in other places for bankers and stuff like that I don't know, but for those of you who are off of work Today chilling, I hope you're having fun Listening to TNC 142 Uh, For those of you who are listening at work or at the gym, whatever, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Before we get started with news and notes, just wanted to ask you guys to go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, follow us, uh, like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff, right? Same thing with Stitcher, SoundCloud, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you're listening to this. Please, please, please follow like leave a review leave a rating i know it's a pain in the ass sometimes but guys it helps me out tremendously so please do that that is your fee for episode 142 of the neutral corner wherever you have not followed yet or liked or given a rating or a review please do so this week and please get the word out about the podcast all right let's get to some news and notes Okay, so um, the WBC recently had their convention. You guys have seen some of the the mandatory fights that they've uh, mandated. Um, Some of them I like, some of them, eh, I don't know. But all in all, some interesting stuff. One big one, though, the big news thing here is Canelo Alvarez. So the WBC, who was out of the Canelo Alvarez business for a while there after they forced Canelo... ...to fight Gennady Golovkin back when he beat Miguel Cotto. This is going back to, I think, late 2015. Late 2015 or 2016. The years are all blending together. I can't remember. I believe it was the end of 2015 when he beat Cotto. And um, he inherited Cotto's mandatory. Gennady Golovkin, Right. Well, Canelo didn't like that because he wanted special treatment, and because of that, he dumped the WBC belt. You guys know the story. And he basically told Mauricio Suleiman, I ain't doing business with the BC no more. And it took a couple years for the WBC to get back in the good graces of Canelo Alvarez, and now they are again. And now Canelo has that signature victory over the best opponent he's ever faced, Gennady Golovkin, all things considered. I know some of you will point to Mayweather, but all things considered, I think... Look, if Floyd Mayweather had moved up to 160 pounds and fought that version of either Canelo Alvarez or Gennady Golovkin that we saw September 15th in Las Vegas, he would have lost. Yeah, I didn't stutter when I said that. He would have lost. So, uh, that's why Floyd never moved up and took those those sorts of fights that we saw guys like Sugar Leonard take, we saw uh, Hearns, we saw Duran move from lightweight to take fights like that, right? They moved up, and those guys eventually fought Hagler at 60. So, anyway, yeah, overall best fighter, best opponent he's ever faced, and got the W. So, Canelo's coming off that huge signature victory, and the bc wants in on that business i understand that so why do i say all this because they are allowing a voluntary defense which is not abnormal but they are allowing him to do a voluntary defense in another weight class and not only that but fighting for a piece of a title uh, in another jurisdiction so canelo alvarez is going to fight rocky fielding december 15th and i tweeted about this uh Is it a shit fight? Yeah. It's a much shittier fight than David Lemieux. A lot of you are bitching about the Lemieux fight, but let's face it, man. At 160 pounds, David Lemieux is still a borderline top 10 guy. Is Rocky Fielding a top 10 super middleweight? I don't know. If he is, it just shows you that super middleweight's a, a weaker division than middleweight right now. I don't think anybody would deny that. But he has a piece of the WBA title, Rocky Fielding does. And he only has, I think, one loss, and that was a first-round knockout to Callum Smith, who just won the World Boxing Super Series. Now, if Canelo or Golovkin wanted to move up and fight Callum Smith, I'd be interested in that. But um, yeah, to move up and fight Rocky Fielding, I ain't mad at Canelo or Golden Boy for doing this. I'm not mad at that. Canelo and Golovkin both deserve a soft touch. And Golovkin had a soft touch earlier this year, Vons Modorosian, but you guys understand that it's not the same thing as what canelo's doing here golovkin had to fight some he didn't have to fight somebody and yes he could have fought sergey Derevyanchenko, but he wanted a soft touch so that he could get some work not get injured not lose possibly um and not take too many bumps and bruises and, and cuts or anything like that and von von was the right opponent to secure the rematch with Canelo. We get what that was. Now maybe that's what Canelo's doing here. Taking a soft touch, they feel they can beat Rocky Fielding fairly easily, and then they can secure the third fight with Golovkin next May. So maybe that's their plan of action here. I don't mind any of that. Here's where I have some issue. This is for a title at 168. And now this is going to be marketed as a third title in a third weight class. And we all know that's absolute bullshit. Okay. I considered Canelo a legitimate titleist at 154 pounds. If you look back, he beat some quality fighters to win titles there. uh, Particularly Trout. Right. That was, uh, I believe that was a title unification. Um, But he was never the guy at 154 pounds. Not even close to it. Not even close. He won some titles, but they were pretty thin. However, at 160 pounds, he is now beat. Whether you agree he won or lost, guys, I'm not debating that right here, but I'm just saying he got the W over the number one guy. So Canelo Alvarez is now the man at middleweight, technically speaking. He's the legitimate champ there. But he's going to go up and do this one-off. With Rocky Fielding, and now they're gonna be like, ah, he's the super middleweight champ. And I just that that type of shit annoys me. That's what they do in this era of boxing. And a lot of you guys have been, you know, the the Golovkin haters have been calling for Golovkin to move up and grab a title here, move down, grab a title there. It's the kind of thing that we saw uh, Roy Jones do, Oscar De La Hoya, Shane Mosley, of course Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao. It's just what fighters do in this era with the super and junior divisions. And it's just it's just a pet peeve of mine. It's just annoying. I, again, I get it from Canelo and Golden Boy's perspective. But am I going to rate Canelo as a champion or even a, a legitimate titleist at 168 pounds? Hell no. Because I don't rate Rocky Fielding there. My biggest issue with all this is with the WBC. Because I just pointed a second ago to the... Uh, Canelo, Cotto, Golovkin situation from a few years ago, right? They followed their protocol there where Canelo had won the title and thus inherited the mandatory. And I believe Golovkin was the interim titleist at that point. Well, here you have a situation where Canelo just beat Golovkin. Technically speaking, he got the decision. So he grabs the title, but he also has to face the interim champion, which is Charlo. Yet, the WBC says, nah. We're not going to do that. Dude, you can have a voluntary defense, even in another weight class fighting for another sanctioning organization. We're going to let you do whatever the hell you want. And we're going to face the guy who lost. We're going to force the guy who lost that fight, Gennady Golovkin, to fight the interim champion. I can't think of another time where the WBC has mandated something like this. Now, to be fair, Tom Loeffler and Team Golovkin. They went to the BC and, and asked for a third fight and they said, hey man, these two fights were close, we felt we won, we won a third fight with, Golovkin, or with uh, Canelo, can you mandate this? They didn't do that. They said, well, you have to fight the interim champion and if you beat Charlo, then Canelo will fight you. That's basically what they did. So this is a gimme from the BC to Canelo and we're going to see a lot more of this as long as Canelo is fighting. The BC wants in that business. I understand it from a business point of view. I just hate it because it is inconsistent and there is special preferential treatment for certain fighters. The BC bent over backwards for Floyd Mayweather. They're doing the same thing now with Canelo Alvarez. He has become the new Floyd Mayweather. All right, let's move on. Um, Mikey Garcia apparently is going to fight Richard Comey. Defending his IBF title. I I believe Comey is the IBF mandatory at 135. This is lightweight. Not welterweight where Garcia says he was going to fight. Not 140 pounds where he did a one-off against Sergey Lipinets. So, you know, what was I just talking about? Canelo moving up and doing a one-off and claiming, oh, I was a title in another weight class. Garcia's done that already. And he's going to stay at 135 apparently and fight Richard Comey. I like that fight. It's a good quality lightweight fight. It's the second best lightweight in the world against a top 10 guy. Uh, there was going to be a purse bid. I think Lou DeBella represents Comey. They were able to work something out. And this possibly could be in December, possibly on Fox. Because Fox, of course, just did a deal with PBC. And a fight like that, I think, belongs on Fox and would do very well. So, interesting though. Mikey Garcia talking a lot about Errol Spence. Talking a lot about moving up. Not one white class, but two, and ends up fighting Richard Comey. This is why, guys, when Mikey Garcia talks about fights he wants and all that, he doesn't really back it up. Now say what you will about Canelo and the junior Canelo weight, the super Canelo weight. Canelo has fought names, and he has proven himself as a guy who's willing to, in between a lot of bullshit fights... Where there's a lot of diva stuff going on where he's making a shitload of money in fights or you know overmatched fights i get it but eventually he does take names he does fight names and he's proven that mikey garcia so far has not proven that so let's see if eventually mikey garcia will fight vasil lomachenko before trying to move up and do any more one-offs in this or that division But as it stands now, probably in December, fighting Richard Comey. All right, one other interesting item here. The AIBA, this is the International Boxing Committee uh, that runs amateur boxing around the world, bans former president C.K. Wu. He's from Taiwan and executive director Ho Kim from South Korea for life. They've banned these guys for life. So the AIBA is in a lot of trouble right now. And the, the upcoming Olympics, we might not see boxing. As it stands right now, boxing will not be part of the next Olympics because there is so much corruption and financial issues uh, with AIBA and just amateur boxing as a whole and the people that have been running it for a while that the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, which is the most corrupt sports organization on Earth. They're more corrupt than FIFA. And FIFA is probably number two most corrupt sports organization on planet Earth. The, the IOC is concerned about the morals and ethics and practices of the AIBA. When the IOC is concerned with what you're doing, you're really fucking up. So, guys, I can't picture the Olympics without boxing. I think it would be an absolute tragedy if the 2020 Olympics don't have boxing. How can you not have the Olympics without one of the most storied, beloved, romanticized sports that exist on earth? It would just be a tragedy. But... It looks like they're trying to clean some shit up. This new guy that's taken over has been linked to organized crime. So I don't know if he's going to be an improvement or not. It might just be going from one dictator to another. But they're, they've banned two guys for life. So I don't know, maybe there's some silver lining in this cloud and they're going to clean shit up enough to where we can salvage boxing for the next Olympics we shall see all right that's enough for news and notes and ranting against the wbc let's uh get into the review of what took place in the ring last week all right so thursday october 4th last week at the hangar in costa mesa california it was golden boy promotions on espn 2. in the main event oscar Negrete. And Joshua Franco fight to a draw in a White fight. The scores are 95-95 and then 96-94 both ways. Uh, both have one loss on their record. Franco lost by stoppage. Negrete went the full distance with Ray Vargas. He moved up in weight and fought one of the better fighters in that division and lost uh, by decision. So um, here's the difference, though. Franco is eight years younger. Negrete is in his thirties. Franco still in his twenties, his young twenties. So he has more time to learn and grow from this. They talked about possibly doing a rematch. It was a good quality scrap. I think that why not do a rematch if the ratings did pretty well and the fans want it. uh, Look, you know this is it's an ESPN two level fight. This isn't like you know huge huge fight. But for that level of fight, if both guys want to do it again, I say do it again. My prediction is that Franco, generally in these situations, the younger guy in a rematch scenario, can do more. There can be more adjustments. He can change the game plan more than the older man and we'd see Franco pull out a close decision. But I want to see it. It was an entertaining scrap on a Thursday night. So why not do it again? Saturday, October 6th, we had some, uh, some action really all around the world. Let's start in Mexico. Luis Neri scores a TKO 3 win in Tijuana. Wins the vacant WBC Silver Bantamweight title. Now remember this situation. He had the full title but was stripped back in March. He had uh, tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs last year. His fight in March this year, he couldn't make weight. Now that he was on drug testing, that looks highly suspicious. But uh, either way... The B.C. still lined him up for this silver title, so now he'll be lined up for a shot at the full title next, I'm assuming. W.B.C. does what W.B.C. does. Also in Mexico, in Mexico City actually, Johnny Gonzalez lost by majority decision to Tomas Rojas. And Rojas wins the vacant W.B.C. international silver 130-pound title. Trying to keep up with all these damn fractured titles, man. Holy shit. But uh, both of these guys, up there in age, especially in ring war years, and uh, Gonzalez, you know, he's been a top challenger you know, for, for titles over the years. He's fought some top guys, generally speaking, came up short in those challenges, but always made it interesting and fun. But uh, this was a, a scrap that went back and forth, and Rojas pulled it out. In Thailand, Wisaksil Wongek Decisioned a Mexican pizza boy To defend his WBC Super Flyweight title That he won back in February against Estrada Talking about possibly doing a rematch with Estrada next So maybe Superfly 4 We can see Soa Runvisai or Wong Geck Whichever you prefer Against Juan Francisco Estrada We see that rematch Superfly 4 However, who's going to pick that up? HBO ain't. <laughs> HBO is out of the business. But a card like that, especially if you could do Run Visaya Strata 2 as the headliner, I think a card like that does really well on ESPN, man. It belongs there, and I think that it could do good, good ratings. You load that up with a lot of international fights, you get the international. Uh, slash immigrant audience here in America watching that on ESPN. A lot of those folks have ESPN more so than HBO anyway, right? So a card like that, Superfly 4, that would be awesome on ESPN. I hope that could happen. But uh, let's see what else. There was a Frank Warren card. Oh, by the way, that uh, Geck card, or just the fight, was streamed on YouTube. So that was pretty cool. So those of you who have, uh, if you if you're listening to this, uh, this podcast, you obviously have access to YouTube. you guys could have watched that fight. So I love that more and more fights are being picked up and streamed by apps and uh, you know ESPN plus, Zone, YouTube channels, Facebook channels, even on Twitter. you see like Thompson boxing, those stream cards on Twitter and stuff like that. So I love that that's happening more and more and more. It's great. Over in the UK, frank warren had a card that was picked up by espn plus here in the united states yeah it was just a bunch of prospects really on this card but um these guys got to stay busy and they got to move forward and i love that if you have espn plus you get a card like this you know and you can take a look at these guys think about it guys five years ago you wouldn't get a look at uk prospects fighting on cards like this here in the states you just wouldn't now you got ESPN Plus. You saw Jake Caddell. You uh, decision O'Hara Davies improved to twenty three and 0. He's a one hundred and forty pound prospect. That's a loaded division with a lot of young talent right now, and he's the best UK prospect moving up right now uh, in that division. You saw Nicola Adams improved a five and O. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about Taylor. But Taylor ain't a prospect in my opinion. He's legit. So I'm just talking in terms of prospects at one forty. Ketterall looks to be the top guy over there in the UK. Anyway, Nicola Adams, 5 0 with the unanimous decision win. She wins an interim flyweight title. And Daniel Dubois, the heavyweight sensation, goes the 10 round distance with Kevin Johnson. So Dubois needed rounds. And I know a lot of people are looking at this and saying, you know, man, Kevin Johnson was blown out by Anthony Joshua in two rounds back in 2015 and he just took daniel dubois the distance this must mean dubois is more suspect than prospect let me just say this much guys i saw parts of this fight and johnson did absolutely nothing but cover up and try to survive he threw some punches later in the fight but they were all off the back foot there was nothing on him he was just trying to survive and go the distance remember Kevin Johnson fought Vitaly Klitschko, and he went the distance. So guys like him who know how to survive in certain situations, when they're switched on and they're focused, they can survive. So for me, this was good that Dubois got 10 rounds of experience with a guy who, generally speaking, doesn't get stopped. Is Johnson an offensive juggernaut? No. Has he been stopped by guys? absolutely and not just Anthony Joshua has been stopped more than once but he can be tricky and it's a style that I think will make a prospect like Dubois better so I don't think this is a red flag that he went to distance with Kevin Johnson I think that it was a good learning experience for a guy who desperately needs rounds and at this point in Dubois young career as a prospect he is nowhere near as ready as Anthony Joshua was in 2015 when he fought Johnson. And it's to, it's two different styles. So, look, I thought this was, a, he shut him out. I mean, Dubois did what you're supposed to do. Would I have liked to see Dubois get the stoppage late? Yeah. But I still am high on Danny Dubois as a heavyweight prospect. All right, I still am. This is not a red flag. It's a good thing. He got in 10 good rounds of work. All right, over here in the USA in Chicago, one of my favorite cities in the world, I always have a great time when I'm up there. We had a matchroom card on the zone, and this was at Wind Trust Arena in Chicago. And one thing about the cards on the zone is they show all the fights. Now, if there's 12 fights on the card, you're probably not getting all 12 fights, but there were four fights on this card that were aired, I believe, on the zone. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, guys. But um, four fights. When's the last time on HBO or even Showtime you got four fights on a broadcast? So this is pretty legit. All right, the heavyweight fight I talked about earlier. Jarrell Big Baby Miller scores a KO2 win over Thomas, Tomas Adamek. And really, what the hell was this fight other than to get rounds? And not even really many rounds. This was just a huge man walking back a smaller, completely physically shot and past his best man. So I don't even know if this was worth it in terms of getting work and rounds. Did this really prepare Jarrell Big Baby Miller for what Eddie Hearn wants to do with him, which is fight Anthony Joshua in New York probably next year? No, not at all. Not at freaking all. But it kept him busy, and he gets a W, and he gets a stoppage. And Big Baby Miller doesn't really stop people because he's not that kind of puncher. But um, he it was a barrage of punches. He, he got Otomek, uh, pushed him back into the ropes, and landed some good uppercuts. He found a right uppercut on Otomek, which is not hard to hit him with, and some hooks and and, and such, and that was it. But you think about it, man. Otomek the best work he did in his career was at 175. You could maybe 200 pounds. But this is a dude who fought at 175 for a while. And Big Baby Miller in between fights weighs 350 pounds. He works himself in the shape down to 300 pounds. So just do the math, guys. That is twice the weight of Adamek's original athletic prime weight. He had to bulk up to be a cruiserweight. And he was a pudgy heavyweight. So 350 pounds versus 175 pounds. Say no more. So Eddie Hearn's plan is to keep Big Baby Miller undefeated so that when he brings over Anthony Joshua, who probably will fight Dillian White again over in the UK, when he brings him over here to America for his first fight here, he wants him in New York against a big trash-talking New Yorker that is going to look the part. And that's Big Baby Miller. So you can see the writing on the wall for what they want to do here. It makes sense. I get it. But it's pretty obvious what they're trying to do. All right, also on this card, obviously, uh, Artur Beterbiev scores a KO4 win over Callum Johnson. But not before he was down in the second round. So there was a kind of a knockdown in the first round where uh, they got tangled up a little bit. And Johnson's head went through the ropes. And Beturbiev just... Nailed him on the side of the head, Johnson w- went down. Now to me, that's a foul. If you got a guy's head through the ropes, he can't defend himself. You're not supposed to punch him. I don't know if Baterbiev did it maliciously. It didn't look like that to me. It didn't look like the hardest punch in the world. But it shouldn't have been called called as a knockdown. I would have thought about it almost as like a low blow. Like, hey man, take a few minutes, recover, time out, no knockdown. But the ref, I think, ruled it a knockdown. But then in the second round, Paterbiev came in wild and Johnson caught him, knocked him down. But eventually, class revealed itself. Paterbiev uh, knocked Johnson down in the fourth and out for good, defends his IBF light heavyweight title for the first time. The problem with Paterbiev, he's got some skills. Uh, he hits hard, nice straight punches when, he, when he's focused, but he, he's so inactive. He's been so inactive and so injury prone. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't. See, based on what I've seen recently, his title winning fight and then his first title defense, I don't see a guy that beats Idladir Alvarez, beats Dimitri Bevel. I just. That's not what I see here. And I don't even know. Possibly he'd beat Sergey Kovalev right now, possibly, but that's a damn close fight. So. I just don't know if I'm 100% sold on Beterbiev right now. And there are a lot of people out there at one point that thought this guy might be the best light heavyweight in the world. And maybe he had the potential. And maybe this was just a bad style matchup for him. I don't know. I just, I don't see the top guy in the division right now. That's just not what I see with him. Jesse Vargas and Tomas DeLorme fight to a majority draw. They were fighting for the vacant WBC silver welterweight title. Man, all these silver titles from the, from the BC, it's, just, it's ridiculous. But that title stays vacant, I guess, because uh, this was a draw. Both guys were dropped in this fight. Uh, Vargas, you know, on paper, should have won this fight. On paper, I think Eddie Hearn was hoping this would be a good quality scrap between a guy of Mexican heritage and a, a guy of Puerto Rican heritage. You know, especially doing that in Chicago where there's uh, a good population of both, particularly Mexicans. It makes a lot of sense for Eddie. And I think he was wanting Vargas to get that W. But didn't look too great. There were moments in this fight where both guys looked like they were going to take control. And then they kind of let their opponent off the hook. And let their opponent work their way back in. So, uh, anyway. Vargas 2-2-2 two, two, two in his last 6. Going back to 2015. Two straight draws for him. So uh, I don't know where they go with Vargas from here. DeLorme, in my opinion, was brought in as a tough opponent. But the plan was for Vargas to get a victory here. And he escapes with a draw. Also, Daniel Roman. TKO 10 win over Gavin McDonald, who has some skills. Good amateur pedigree, but cannot punch through a wet paper bag. So in the pros... You will find guys that will take your little peppery punches so they can work through it and land their own shots and that's exactly what roman did here with mcdonald defends his wba super bantamweight title for the third time Uh, mcdonald went the distance with the wbc super bantamweight champ ray vargas back in 2017 so for him to go the distance with ray vargas who i said is one of the best in that division, if not the best. He might be the best in that division. For Roman to get McDonald out of there shows just how much he has improved and his quality as a fighter. Now he's taken losses early in his career, but it's clear he was learning on the job, had a limited amateur career, and has worked his way up and learned from those losses. And now he's a class fighter, 122 pounds. He won the title in Japan last September, defended it back there in Japan this February, then fought in Texas in June, defended it, and now just defended it in Chicago. And this is a guy from LA. And on Sunday, October 7th, in Yokohama, Japan, it was World Boxing Super Series action, season two. This was on the zone, of course. And Ken Shiro scores a TKO 7 win over Milan Melindo defends his WBC junior flyweight title for the fourth time. Also, Kareel Relic scores a unanimous decision win over Edward Troyanowski, 115-113 3 times. Those were the scores. This was the first defense of his WBA junior welterweight title. You know, I just when I watched this fight and when I saw the scores and everything and saw how competitive it was, I just thought to myself, yep. Neither one of these guys is winning the tournament. Neither one of them is winning the tournament. Now, Relic got the victory, but he's just basically holding his spot in the semis for eventually Regis Progre or Josh Taylor to, to beat him. <laughs> that's, just, that's just what I saw in this fight, man. Remember, Trojanowski was blown out by Julius and Dongo who we saw how limited he was when he fought an elite level fighter in Terrence Crawford. I mean, Terrence Crawford might be the best fighter in the world pound for pound, so I get it, but there are levels to this game. And for Relic to go, uh, I'm not gonna say life or death, but to have this close competitive fight with Troyanovsky, who really fought well, and I get it, it's a style matchup, all that stuff, but that just tells me really what we, we knew all along. Neither one of these guys is gonna win this tournament, right? But, it's boxing, you always have a chance, you got your left hand, you got your right hand, and those are your two best judges, so that's why they fight the fights. But, the monster, Nayoya Inoue, KO1 win over Juan Carlos Payano, and nobody called this. We all thought that Inoue was going to win, we all thought he would likely win by late stoppage. Some of you guys, I think, had it a mid-round stoppage. But nobody thought that in the first right hand, Inouye was gonna crush this guy with a first round legit knockout. No TKO, no ref waving it off or corner stoppage. No, this was a legitimate for the the count knockout. And you guys follow me on Twitter. You saw me uh, tweet out video of this knockout. It was absolutely beautiful the way Inouye set this thing up, man. He was pawing out with his jab, and uh, Paiano is a a southpaw, so he was pawing out with his jab as well. So you saw both guys pawing at each other, knocking down the jab, trying to set up distance, right? So those of you who have sparred, you've done that a thousand times. You, You understand that process. It's the first thing you do in an opening round when you're sparring with somebody. That's what these fighters both did. And they're trying to establish range. What Inoue did that was so beautiful, in my opinion, and just so so beautifully textbook old school boxing, he pawed with that left jab and kind of did it at the same rhythm. A half speed, half strength rhythm to lull Paiano to sleep a little bit. And Paiano's right hand was up to block it and parry that jab. And he's trying to set up his own distance and range. So suddenly Inoue bursts with a hard, stiff, straight jab thrown at high velocity, high speed, and it goes under Payano's right hand, which was held up high to knock down and parry that pawing jab that Inoue was throwing out. So now you got Payano kind of lulled into a rhythm with that, right? way, shoots a beautiful, straight, hard jab. Not to the top of the head, to the forehead, but right to the damn chin under that guard of Paiano and immediately follows it up with a short, crisp, straight right hand. He didn't wind up the right hand. He didn't bow out his elbow or dip his shoulder like you see so many guys do, particularly when they're working a bag and shit. You guys have seen it a billion times. I've been guilty of it and some of the stuff I've posted of me working out Uh, when you're just You're you're telegraphing that right hand. It wasn't that from Inouye. I mean, it looked like six inches. Obviously, it was a lot longer than that. But I'm exaggerating. But it was this short, crisp, beautiful right hand that Paiano never saw coming. He knew it was coming. The whole first round, he knew that right hand was coming. But because of the way Inouye set it up, Paiano couldn't do a damn thing about it. And that was a beautiful knockout, man. For me... It's the knockout of the year so far for me. And it's because of not only the devastating nature of it and everything, but the way it was set up, the science and craft behind it. Beautiful stuff. If I had a kid come to the gym and it was his first time and he was just going in there trying to bang dudes out and sparring or beating the shit out of the mitts, right? He was working mitts with his coach and just pounding the shit out of them. I would tell that kid, to sit down for a second and I would play him that video of Inoue setting up and knocking out Payano with that right hand and I'd say, that is how you do it. Did it look like that dude wound up? Did that look like a home run swing? It wasn't. He got it done because of how he threw the punches and more than that, how he set it up. So anyway, the monster is by far the favorite to win that Bantamweight tournament. If you're not favoring him to win that tournament, You're crazy. The Colombian had never been stopped coming into this fight. Two-time Olympian, a guy who knew his way around a boxing ring, and again, knew that right hand was coming, couldn't stop it. Beautiful stuff, man. That's why they call it the savage sweet science. That's why I love boxing. All right, that's it for the review, guys. Let's preview what's coming up this week. This Thursday, October 11th, going back to the hangar in Costa Mesa, California. But this is not a Golden Boy Promotions card. Uh, I'm trying to think, who is this? Uh, This might be Roy Engelbrecht, this card. But for those of you out there in the OC who want to get out to see some fights Thursday, there's another card there. And... Ali Akmedov, a 23-year-old light heavyweight prospect. He is going to headline this. He's a Kazakhstan native based in Las Vegas. 12-0, nine knockouts. He is scheduled to fight in an eight-rounder. So that is going on Thursday. Saturday, October 13th, there's a matchroom card in Newcastle, UK. Lewis Ritson, lightweight prospect. 17-0, 11 knockouts. Just fought last month going up against the Belgium fighter, Francesco. I don't know if Belgian people pronounce it that way. It might be Francesco. It looks like Francesco to me, Patera. So I like that Ritson, who is a very good looking, lightweight prospect, is staying busy. Just fought last month, getting right back in the ring. Also over there in the UK, actually in York Hall in London, Cyclone Promotions is putting on a card with several UK prospects. Here in the United States, in Salinas, California, Thompson Boxing is putting on a card headlined by 13-0 with five knockouts, featherweight prospect Ruben Villa. He's 21 years old. He is from Salinas, so he's going to be fighting in his hometown. I love that Thompson Boxing is doing it that way. Build this guy up, man. You see what uh, Jose Carlos Ramirez is doing with top rank, how they're building up a, a well, he's already has a dedicated fan base up there in the Fresno area in California. Thompson Boxing, I think they're looking at what Top Rank did with him. And they're trying to do the same thing here with Ruben Villa. 13-0, five knockouts, as I mentioned. Won five Golden Gloves National Championships. So this kid has a lot of potential. Golden Boy Promotions card uh, from The Joint in Las Vegas on Saturday, October 13th as well. That's on Facebook Watch. Angel Acosta from Puerto Rico is 18-1, going up against Mexican Abraham Rodriguez, who's 23-1 for Acosta. Uh, Acosta, this is the second defense of his WBO junior flyweight title. Also on this card, Gold Boy Promotions, welterweight prospect Rashidi Ellis. You've seen him on several of these cards when they were on ESPN2. Uh, now they're over here on Facebook. He's 20-0. and 0. And main events... Junior middleweight prospect Bakram Murt. Oh man. <laughs> Murtazaliev. All right. Bakram Murtazaliev, who is 13 and 0. <laughs> He's fighting on the card as well. It took me a second, but I got that name out. All right. So, um, you guys remember these Facebook watch cards. Yes, they're kind of run by Golden Boy Promotions, but in association with main events. So you see prospects from both promotional outfits on those cards. You see some of them on the West Coast, some of them on the East Coast. Also, Saturday in Ketteringberg, Russia, World Boxing Super Series Season 2, available on The Zone, Cruiserweight Action. 16 and 0, Andrew Tabiti, who is with Mayweather Promotions, going up against a Russian fighter, Ruzlan Pfeiffer? Pfeiffer, 23 and 0. Uh, just looking at these two resumes, Tabiti has already faced much better opposition. And yes, he's fighting a Russian, undefeated Russian in Russia. However, just class reveals itself. I expect Tabiti to win big in this fight. He, he should win wide on the cards or score a stoppage. Also, though, on this card, Zolani Titi from South Africa fighting Mikhail Oloyan from Russia, born in Armenia, but from Russia. You look at these records, you're like, whoa, because Oloyan is 4-0, oh, only four professional fights. You look at Titi, 27-3. and three. Both of these guys are southpaws. Titi's 5'9", Oloyan is 5'8". Four, for Zolani Titi, this is the third defense of his WBO Bantamweight title. Now look at Aloyan, on the fast track, making a huge step up in opposition. His last two wins were split decisions. He has zero knockouts in his four pro fights. Now, two-time Olympian, good amateur, but this is his first fight Uh, against a a fighter like this at this level and I get it, it's his home country and everything but you have to favor Zolani Titi big in this fight maybe the kid will show us something but I like the South African to take this fight also in Omaha, Nebraska here in the US of A top rank is back on ESPN Uh, this is regular ESPN, not the app at the CHI Health Center Terrence Crawford defending his WBO welterweight title the one he beat off Jeff Horn for the first time against Jose Benavidez Jr. who was 27 and 0 out of Phoenix Arizona six foot two really tall for that division 73 inch reach 26 years old Crawford five foot eight more of your traditionally sized welterweight 70 inch reach 31 years old So Benavidez is the taller, longer, younger, naturally stronger, you would think, man, naturally bigger man. So he does have that going for him. He's also got an O. So if a fighter hasn't lost yet as a pro, that does give them an edge in a fight. Of course, Terrence Crawford hasn't lost either. So somebody's O has to go. I love that Crawford is getting some exposure on ESPN once again. So, let's see what happens in this one. I want to see the atmosphere there in Omaha. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I expect Crawford to win and win big in this fight. Also on this card, Carlos Adamas, you guys have seen him before. He's a 14-0 junior middleweight prospect. And of course Shakur Stevenson who is on all these top ranked cards, he's 8-0, featherweight prospect, American Olympian. Those guys are on the undercard. So. Uh, no major, huge fights this weekend, but a couple of important fights. A bunch of prospects continue to uh, march forward. And we're getting some World Boxing Super Series action. We're getting that tournament kicked off Season 2. And Terrence Crawford, who might be the best welterweight in the world, might be the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, fighting on the entertainment, the sports entertainment leader, ESPN. So overall, some good stuff, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoy your Monday. I hope you enjoy your week. I'm gonna get right back to renovating. I've been demoing my house all weekend. So that and watching these late ass East Coast baseball games go into a game tonight. And then the rest of the week, I'm gonna get right back to demoing my house. I'm ripping out everything, ripping out the floors, ripping out uh, the appliances are old, the cabinets, the countertops, everything. And I'm gonna basically rebuild the inside from scratch. It's going to be a hell of a process, but it's also going to be awesome when it's finished. So um that's what I'm going to be doing this week. I'll see you at the fights.